Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Fresh Faces. I'm Aggie Gold, talent agent and former manager. This is my exclusive podcast about how to get your child into commercials, television, and the movies without getting ripped off. Hi there. Thank you for listening to part two of Aggie's interview with the amazing Sherry Eaker. Still the performers are my concern. I care about them. I want to review them. I want to go see their acts. I want to give them a, you know, if an act isn't good enough, we say, we won't run the review. Why run a bad review? Right. That's very you know? nice. And I call them afterwards, whether it's me or any of my other reviewers, to explain in, in as nice as, as gentle uh, in, as gentle in term of terms as I could, you know, why they couldn't merit a review. Uh, they weren't ready for the review. So it's just something that I've always carried through me. Um, I hope Alex Mappa thought we were nice to them. We must have run a review of Alex Mappa in order to re- uh, give him a review. He must have performed somewhere. Yeah, he must have. You know, I used to do that with parents, try to be very gentle if their child wasn't ready for this business. But it didn't always work out that way because the parents would never hear me. You know, no. they just wanted to know, you know, like that I was had... Your biggest, that was your biggest... Um, a uh, hurdle, the parents. Probably. Oh my God, it was terrible. You know, they would slam books of portfolios in front of me and go, well, if you're not going to represent my child, I'll find someone who will. Okay, fine. <laughs> you know, This is when you were a manager or yeah, agent when or still when you were in- Well, at any time, you know, if I interviewed a child that wasn't ready for this business, I would gently, gently try to tell the parents. But it didn't always work. You know, if if a parent wants their child in show business, nothing is going to stop them. And it's a shame because they really screw up a lot of kids that way. Yes. Yes, they do. Right. Uh, Did you find that most of the kids that you interviewed were pushed into it or really had the the desire to perform. The children that I represented had the desire to do it. I never signed a kid that wasn't ready for the business, that had potential, because what could you do with potential? You could put it on the shelf, you know? There's nothing right. you could do with potential's potential. So the children that I represented really wanted to do it. Going back to Tatiana Ali, who was four years old when I met her. Oh I mean... She was brilliant. She wanted to do this more than breathe. And and kids do. You know, some really want to do this. Some are born with a gift. Right. Right. Always. uh, Yes. I always believe that, you know, these children that are so talented or people, it's a gift that they're born with. Um, And no matter how much a parent pushes, even if I was to take them on, who would book them? These kids don't want to do this. You know, no one's going to book a kid who doesn't want to be in the business. Right, right, right. 
So, so you had a lot of um, um, roses, mama roses. Yeah, yeah, a lot. But um, I did really well. I had some great, I established some really great kids into adult stars now. They were doing film and commercials? Or? Yeah, they were doing television, a lot of commercials in the beginning. <clears throat> I must have been, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 commercials, auditions a week or 20 a week. Wow. And I had at one point, I had about 80 commercials on the air running at the same time. Oh, so my. it was really cool. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah. And what? the kids have college paid for it. Not anymore. <laughs> you know. What what brought you into here comes the interviewer me? Uh, <laughs> what brought you into the business? What did you have a, a kid that you became the manager? But I started, I guess I was very uh, outgoing as a kid and I loved singing and, and in front of strangers and the whole thing. And then <laughs> as I got older, I started using temples and churches in my neighborhood to put plays on to raise money for them, which I loved oh. doing. And then I decided one day, I think I want to be on a soap opera. So I got in touch with the casting director who wait, at the wait, time. Wait, 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 how old were you at that? Oh, point? God, 18. Oh, so you were. And I was in high school. Already. Yeah. Yeah. And what did your school. parents think of all this? Oh, they, they were proud of me, I guess. My parents they never pushed. No, they never pushed. They, you know, my parents are from Europe. They both survived the, the uh, Holocaust. So they were not that interested in a lot of things that most parents were interested in. They were constantly worried that they would be killed any minute. You know, that's how I br was brought up in a nutshell. I'm a child of a survivor. Well, that's a, that's so, a whole book by itself. Yeah. It certainly is. I took them to see Alec. Alec was on Broadway in M. Butterfly. And I treated my parents. Yes, that's how I know his name. Wasn't he the uh, replacement for? Yes, for uh, B.D. Wong. Yes. Yes, he was yes, the understudy that's originally. That's how I know the name. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let me, one other. Go ahead. Alex, <laughs> didn't he, wasn't he living in Hawaii? No. No, no. Hawaii. No, he was oh. living in New York. He was at NYU when I met him. Oh, 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 oh. And he wound up in L.A. because he was working out in L.A. a lot. You know, most yeah. of the people, most of my contacts were L.A. contacts because New York did the commercials, but L.A. did all the sitcoms oh, and the filming, some filming in New York. But because we have a winter, they can't really film all year. So everything was done in L.A. So every time Alec auditioned, he went out to L.A. So we decided, you know, I might as well live here. I'm always here. So, Wait, so I interrupted your, I rudely okay. interrupted your story. You took your parents to see oh, Alec. Oh, yeah, to see Alec. And they were very impressed. There was a big cast party after which they went to, and they didn't oh. realize they were going to be fed. Oh. So they had dinner before, you know. But anyway, my mother looked at me and she said to me, I feel like you gave birth to him. This is your baby. And I was like, wow, that was the first time my parents ever realized what I did. You they, know, I don't they think made they a connection to what you do, to, yeah. to the importance of it. Yeah. Yes. Sherry, could we talk about the Bistro Awards? I think everyone would love to hear that. Oh, I'd love to talk about them. Um, we, when I was an editor of Backstage, 
I was, uh, how many years into it? I started in 77. In eight, 1983, I started getting mail, press releases, you know, opening the mail, good old fashioned mail press releases that all these performers performing in small clubs in the city, singers. And it just became overwhelming. I said, we need to start covering it. We really did our share of covering theater. That we did. I had a nice, you know, uh, stable of writers for theater, theater reviewers. Um, so I found someone in the theater community who reviewed theater, but also reviewed cabaret acts for a Long Island magazine, then called Long Island Nightlife, something like that. And I asked if he would want to review for backstage. He loved it. What a, he was a terrific writer. So he began reviewing cabaret acts for backstage. My father also reviewed cabaret acts. He was the very first cabaret critic for backstage, but he reviewed the, uh, oh, the bigger rooms. Um, uh, there was the, pl the plaza had a room called the Oak Room at that time, not the Algonquin's Oak Room, but the plaza's Oak Room. The Reg uh, St. Regis had a room called the King Cole Room. My father would go there. But I needed those smaller clubs covered. Bob Harrington was the perfect person. So Bob was reviewing whenever he could and whenever I could run the review. I went on vacation that summer, came back to find that my editor, my father's partner, Alan, hired a woman who had to write a comedy column. I wrote to write a comedy column. I called Bob on the phone and I go, you're writing a column now, a weekly column. <laughs> if, if Alan can get someone to write a weekly comedy column, we could write a weekly cabaret column. It wasn't cabaret then. We called it, and because my father wrote reviews and put it under the slug Bistro Bits, I called it, it's, some people say Bistro, I always say Bistro, Bistro Bits, that's what Bob's column was called, the Bistro Bits column. He was a terrific writer. He, even, he made someone that wasn't good. He, he wrote a textbook for the person who wasn't that good to say what you needed to do to wow. be better. Not a nasty review, never a nasty review what you can do to be better. And um, every week he came up with new material. Um, so he began in 1984, at the end of 1985, he said, why don't we begin? I, no, I want to start giving out awards to people. We'll call them the Bistro Awards. And I went, whoa, that sounds great. So we 
began the first, I think, award that we gave out was in the paper, in his column, uh, January of 1985 or 86, I think 85 maybe. And um, Bob listed 125 winners. I mean, the, uh, you know, uh, just, Outrageous names. Anyone who made these glad Rosemary Clooney and Julie Wilson, of course, but all these other young up and comer. Irv Rabel, who then headed up Don't Tell Mama, did all our calligraphy on the we, we had a certificate that we gave out to them and Bob would mail out the certificates to all the winners. So it was Bob's name and then mine. I was like the Vanna White to Bob Harrington. <laughs> so um, that was, so we did that in the paper for the first couple of years. My father and his partner then sold backstage to Billboard magazine. The transaction was in late 80s or so. It had to be late 80s. So my father was still there, though. And I said, gee, we have Billboard magazine as our parent company now. Maybe we can afford to do a live show. We started doing a live show. And it was small in the beginning. Irv Rabel, who then opened up another small club, a beautiful cabaret room in the village called 88s. We started doing our shows there. We would have an invited audience upstairs, mostly the winners and their guests. And then everyone Everyone, it was open to the public downstairs on closed circuit TV, the performers that was going that were happening upstairs in the cabaret room. The downstairs was a bar. People in New York all knew of 88s. We did that for a couple of years, and then we moved to another club where I started charging money. I mean, a grand $25 or so. It was a gorgeous club called, uh, oh, 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 in Chelsea on West 26th Street. The name is escaping me right now. Um, And we were there a couple of years. It was a beautiful room. There was a restaurant attached. So we had a meal afterwards, you know, a buffet. It was just great. And back then, I remember Dorothy Loudon being our special uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Bob, Bob passed away in 1992, you know, part of that whole ep- epidemic, the, the AIDS epidemic. Oh, it was, uh, you know, catastrophic. But I decided I would continue doing the awards because I knew he would want me to. He already told me beforehand who he would want to continue his column. So we continued the column, we continued doing the awards. 
And then we were at this club in Chelsea for, oh, it was two years, three years. We moved to the supper club up in uh, West 47th Street. It's now called the Edison Ballroom. It's part of the Edison Hotel. I could not imagine it was this glorious space that doesn't exist. It exists now, but it's mostly big, big, big events. They kicked me out eventually because I was too small time for them. But we had our reception upstairs. It was first called the Blue Room, then it was called the King Kong Room. Then everyone came downstairs to this beautiful art deco atmosphere, uh, tables and chairs. Uh, and we had the stage, we had a backstage area. We charged all of $39.50 for a ticket and it included a meal afterwards. I mean, it was, and we had a wonderful show. It was my new team of writers who would then choose the winners. It was still a lot, but um, maybe we had 20 winners. So the show was long because it was the, the, the principle behind or one of the elements of the Bistro Awards is that it's all performance. Every performer must perform. So it's short intro, short thank you speech, performance. And it was that, it was wonderful. And then they, you know, want this. New owners came in, they wanted a charger. So we have been at, and Lisa, you'll feel good. We're at a comedy club now. We're at Gotham Comedy Club. We're in our like 16th year there. We didn't go one year because of the pandemic. But we went back, uh, we held it a little late. We're usually in March. We held it May this year, May 16th. Uh, we, we have about 14 or 15 winners. All year round, my team of writers go around to the clubs, write reviews. Um, and the reviews are still well-written reviews. They're not... I see on too many websites, summaries. Well, then, you know, they, they do uh, laundry lists. Oh, the singer was wonderful. I always loved this singer. And then she sang this and then she sang that. No, we are much more um, critical uh, of the performer. We, we're, we look at it much more objectively or subjectively objectively, I should say, but we analyze the performances. Um, so anytime any of your readers want to take a look at us, we're at bistroawards.com. And, uh, you know, all they have to do is click on our reviews. And there are always new reviews featured. And I send out a newsletter every week featuring all new reviews. Uh, so this is what we do, but we always have our, there was one year at Gotham Comedy Club, I had Liza Minnelli and Charles Aznavour as our, 
Well, one was our, like Charles Aznavour was our Lifetime Achievement Award winner. And there's a funny story that goes behind that because I had first reached out to Liza Minnelli and I had to speak, got, you know, the contact and I was dealing with her assistant at the time. But then all of a sudden I got a contact for Charles Aznavour and I was much more proficient in my French then because I would go to Paris every year um, during my little excursions. So I had the guts to call, no, not email. I called the person that, uh, the contact spoke in French and explained who I was and oh, broken French and, and what I do and what we would, we would love to honor Charles Aznavour with this award. So I found out he was going to be at Carnegie Hall in April, and that worked out. So then I told Liza Minnelli's assistant, oh gosh, I heard <laughs> that Charles Aznavour was coming. So he, she said yes. So we gave the special award to Liza Minnelli and the special award to uh, a Lifetime Achievement to Charles Aznavour. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. But we've had, as a, a Lamy Kazan, we've had, um, oh, the uh, Margaret Whiting in the past, Julie Wilson in the past. More currently this year, we gave an award to Jimmy Webb, songwriter. The year before, on our virtual show, we honored Petula Clark. Wow. I had to find a production team. For Petula Clark, she was glorious. It's still on our website, the whole show. The year before that, the songwriting team of Richard Mulpey and David Shire. And then they brought on four singers that were wonderful to sing their songs. We did the same for Jimmy Webb and we did the same for Petula Clark. The year before that, we had, well, Ben Vereen one year. And they all perform. They all perform. It's a wonderful show. And what's so special about the Bistro Awards are that it's it's still, it's nothing big and fancy. It's still a kind of, a, it still has that mom and pop, very intimate kind of feeling to it. And that's what people love about it. And people respect us because we are established writers. You know, we're not picking, uh, yes, you know, it's not a popularity vote. There's another award where the members of the organization vote. It's definitely not popularity. They know we can be very critical when we need to be critical. So it still exists. Every year I say, oh, the best person I've worked with, I, I could talk about the best. Many of the performers, I didn't, and many of the artists, we gave a, a, when we were at the supper club. So this had to be before 2002. Eartha Kitt was our lifetime achievement award winner never dealt with her at all, always the agent or the manager. 
You know, I didn't even get to say hello to her afterwards, but she she was glorious. You know, I'm not even remembering whether she sang, but we still we have her on videotape and it's part of our, you know, a virtual roundup show. You know, she um, uh, Barbara Cook was our lifetime achievement one year back in the um, supper club days. Did I even say hello to Barbara Cook? I don't even know how I rounded Barbara Cook up. May have been through Wally Wally Ross, her pianist at the time. Dionne Warwick we had one year when we were at Gotham Comedy Club. No one was difficult. It was, we, we didn't, she was just, she was a little cold. That's all, a little cold, always dealing with her manager. And when she did not want to perform and would charge me a fee if she would perform, I I couldn't afford a fee. I don't even make money on the show. You know, whatever we spend, we earn. Um, However, I had a well-known musical director, Alex Rybeck, who is a big Dionne Warwick fan create a medley of her songs that she made famous. And before she got on, he introdu- we introduced her with this medley. And when the runner came to her seat to bring her up on stage, she said, no, I want to listen to this. She went up stage and she made, she said something, don't quote me, to the effect of, in all these years I've been performing, no one ever played the original arrangements like Alex wow. Rybeck did. And she took pictures, she was friendly afterwards. It was heaven sent. I, I mean, they've all been fun. I had Mitzi Gaynor one year performing. This wow. was also at um, Gotham Comedy Club. Mitzi Gaynor as our Lifetime Achievement Award. And then the same year, a special uh, uh, first time cabaret performance to Elaine Stritch. So Elaine Stritch has a reputation, I'll put Mitzi Gaynor part two, even though she's equal to part one. (laughs) Elaine Stritch was wonderful. I spoke to her directly. I asked her about the award. She said, yes, everyone knows you had to pay her a fee to take care of her makeup and her hair and She didn't want to use the car service that we were using. We had to use her car service. Um, I said yes to everything. Got there. We had Donna McKechnie, who was going to introduce her. Right before the start of the show, I thought I would have Mitzi and Elaine sitting together. I come over to both of them. I feel Elaine Stritch tug on my dress and she goes, I don't want to sit here. 
<laughs> I want to sit there. I went, okay. And then she says, I don't want, what, what, when am I up there? And I said, well, I think you're up number three. Donna's not here yet. She goes, I want to go up now. The director was right near me. I looked at the director and I remember him telling me, you look like a deer in headlights. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she stayed where she was. She was happy in her new seat. Uh, Mitzi was happy in the banquette section. Elaine went up there. I think I had Rex Reed introduce Elaine. She was wonderful. I got home and there were two messages waiting for me from the Carlisle Hotel. Is it? Yeah, the Carlisle, where where Elaine Stritch lived. And I I went, oh, no, what is she going to say? I was afraid to pick up the phone. And I, okay, you got to do it. You're not going to wait until tomorrow. So I picked up the phone. I listened to the message. The first message was, Sherry Eaker, I had such a great time at the show. And I loved every minute of it. And then she calls again and she goes to show you how much, and I love the trophy, the glass award you gave me. And she calls back and she goes, oh, she was once married to a fellow who they, they still sell them. They're, they, he owned an English muffin company called something with a B, Bears or Bays or something. Um, she sent me 12 dozen English muffins, 12 dozen boxes of English muffins to show her appreciation. Thank you, Sherry, so much. That was absolutely wonderful. And thank you all for listening to Fresh Faces with me, Aggie Gold. Network.